All right. And I'm also going to record. Okay, we should be live here. Excellent. Yeah. It tells, I've got a message saying we're being live streamed. That's right. We are. We're... Yeah. All right. Yeah, here we are. Welcome, Father. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Who should welcome who? This is sort of my <laughs> podcast. You're like the guest host. Uh, I'm the guest speaker, but um, yeah. Well, I'll I'll in this case be the host because um, for those of you watching, we have uh, we're really excited to be here with you today. My name is Sierra Flanagan. I'm with my dad and EcoMotion president Ted Flanagan. And over the past few months, my dad's been hosting a podcast, the Net Positive Podcast, which is available on. Spotify and Apple iTunes, and he's has what now over fifty episodes. I think over um, fifty, yeah, we're crazy. over fifty episodes talking to some of the industry experts in the energy and sustainability field, and he's been the interviewer. But today we're going to turn the tables a little bit, and uh, this is the first in our series of the Net Positive Live, and we're going to do an energy crash course starting with microgrids. So we have 30 minutes. And the idea is that we're gonna do a high level 101, what the heck are microgrids, um, diving into Ted Flanagan's expertise on the matter, and hopefully enlightening me and some of you who are watching today. So thanks for tuning in. Um, this is our first time doing this, so we're, we're learning. But if you do have questions, please add them in the chat and I will try my best to get to them. But we're gonna start high level. Dad, what is a microgrid? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. What is a microgrid? Everybody knows what, a what, what the grid is, the big macro utility grid. And microgrids literally are just small grids. Um, and if you think about it, if you're on a cruise ship, it's got a microgrid on board. It's, it's a 100% resilient, facility, it's isolated from the macro grid. Um, telephone call coming in. Uh, actually, many microgrids started in the developing world where, the, where there was not a large you know, utility grid, what we would call a micro grid uh, or macro grid. So the microgrids are just small grids. It's, it's a term that's, that's on fire. Everybody loves the term microgrid and there's lots of different definitions for them. The, common, the most common element in all the definitions is that a microgrid can island, that's the operative word, can island from the, from the macro grid. So if, the, if your utility grid goes down, if you happen to be part of a micro grid, the micro grid continue operating by islanding uh, from the main grid. Great. So you mentioned a cruise ship, so microgrid there, but how extensive, like how big could a microgrid be? Yeah, well, you know, you know this from uh, your work at Harvard, actually Harvard University has a microgrid, uh, has its own grid that if the grid, if the grid in New England goes down, Harvard can operate many, many buildings on campus. So microgrids can be, let's see, it could be a military base, uh, you know, Ecomotion developed six microgrids on school campuses that had lots of little buildings. Uh, 
It could be a university. There's Co-op City in the Bronx in New York is a celebrated microgrid. It's really not very micro at all. It's, it's quite large, but it is a it's a subset of the of the of the larger utility. That's that's the main thing. And again, it can if the if the larger utility goes down, and there's lots of reasons why the larger utilities are going down now, given climate change. Uh, then these microgrids uh, provide local uh, energy resources and local energy resilience. And how do the utilities feel about this? Threatened, threatened. Uh, you know, I think it's much like you know, we've seen utilities be threatened by energy efficiency, by the rise of solar. Um, and microgrids allow, uh, allow give customers lots of options. Uh, we're developing microgrids now that are very cost effective. So actually, Customers could defect from the macro grid if they if they have an effective micro grid. Um, that's not that. What I'm interested in is trying to figure out how we can make this beneficial for utilities because there is value in the micro grid, not just for the individual consumer. It could be a single building, it could be a, a neighborhood. There's not just value for the for the consumers, but there is value for the utility. If we can interface with the utility and create this value for, for both parties, you know, the microgrids will have lots of battery capacity. And so those batteries can be used by the utility when there's not a problem. So we can have a collaborative sharing opportunity. And is that model being embraced in places like where you are in California? No, I would say not yet. I would say not yet. I would say we're still kind of shaking things out. Yeah. Uh, there are regulatory proceedings regarding microgrids in something like 30 states right now, all trying to figure out how do you how do you build somebody uh, that's got a microgrid? I mean, you're, if you've got value flowing back and forth from the utility to the consumer, uh, how, how does that work? Um, could utilities be in the business of selling microgrids and having mm -hmm. you know, sort of extra levels of services that they can sell where they actually have a value add that they can provide to customers? So, but again, uh, we're in this early ramp up stage. Everybody is sort of getting into it. The technology is new. It's being developed fast. There's lots of interest in the microgrids. The utilities are kind of figuring out how do we interconnect these? How do we, what tariffs do we charge? What prices do we charge? Uh, for our backup of those microgrids. Uh, it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's exciting. It's really exciting. And it's all being enabled uh, by the fact that the lithium ion batteries and that the energy storage technologies are rapidly advancing. And so that we can couple now solar with storage and create carbon-free microgrids that can literally operate indefinitely if the grid goes down. Yeah. So I'm, you know, from a layperson perspective, I'm picturing wires and batteries. Like, what are the mechanics of a microgrid? Yeah, let's let's boil it right down to a single building. And as you know, we're working for the Clean Power Alliance here in Southern California. We're working with 32 cities, trying to find buildings in each of those cities that we can create microgrids or we can create energy resilience. And they're municipal buildings that could be city halls or libraries or community centers, that kind of thing. So how does this work? Well, the first thing that we need is we need a source of generation, because if we're not going to get generation from the macro grid, from the utility grid, we need to do it on our own. So we need solar, right? Now, you could use, in the old days, generators were used, by the way, diesel generators were what formed microgrids, but we're in the business now of all carbon-free microgrids. So, so we need solar, and we put up a bunch of solar. Uh, and then we need batteries so that if the uh, so we can use that power from the sun, we can use it at night or during cloudy periods, 
or if the grid goes down. And then we need the brains of the system, which is the microgrid controller. And the microgrid controller is, is figuring out uh, how, much, how much solar capacity do we have coming in? Therefore, how many critical circuits, how many circuits in the facility can we, can we power? Uh, if there's not much sun, if there's not much, uh, if there's not much energy in the storage, then we have to toggle down the loads in the building. So, so you've got a building that's got solar in it, it's got storage in it, it's got sophisticated controls, it's able to turn on and off different circuits within the building, depending on how much power is available. And it's a system. Got it. So microgrids are possible both commercially and residentially, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we kind of get into the, this definition, right? Where, where uh, we really rarely are talking about microgrids at the household level. But people that are putting up solar on the houses and that are putting up Tesla power walls or other, other storage devices are basically creating the same energy resilience that a microgrid does. And if the macrogrid does go down, those Tesla power walls, for example, will be used to power the facility. So it is, it is in a sense, a microgrid, yes. Right. And you, you mentioned the term energy resilience. Um, yeah. For folks totally new to this, to this subject matter, could you define that for us? Yes, ab absolutely. And it, it is another one of these major buzzwords in, in our industry. And it's basically to be resilient in the face of all of the calamities that are going on, uh, fires, floods, hurricanes, increased tornadic activity, all these, all these uh, climate related events that are related to climate change that are getting more, they're becoming more frequent and more ferocious. So energy resilience is this pursuit of being resilient in light of, of these calamities. And so again, if a, if a major fire takes out a transmission line and then the, the grid goes down in a certain area, you know, we want that city hall to still be able to operate or that police station or that fire station or that community center where people can go and charge their cell phones. So resilience is just about being able to, is adapting to, is adapting to these changing and, and really scary climate conditions and figuring out how we can be resilient at a very local level. You know, it's very much having you know, your own system in place at a very local level so that if what goes on miles away from you, so that what goes on miles away from you doesn't affect you. Got it. And I can see how that's so important for hospitals and schools and other community spaces. Yeah, many um, hospitals, many, many hospitals already have, are, are technically microgrids. They have, and they're usually done with generators. Right. right. Uh, and, and police stations often will have generators as well. But as you know, and, and many, many of the utilities here in California are promoting generators uh, because they're needing to shut down the grid. We can get into that. But our business is all about carbon free, being carbon free. We, we see generators as being part of the problem, you know, burning diesel fuels, burning natural gas, burning propane. That is all exacerbating the problem that causes, that's causing the climate change, that's causing us to want to become more resilient. So we're really, I'm really excited that there are clever means of coupling, again, solar and storage and microgrid controls and accomplishing what used to be done with diesel gensets, accomplishing it in a carbon-free mode. And can that be cost-effective? Because obviously conventional fuels and powering generators, you know, it may be an easier crutch, but like with all of these operating systems, with, with the batteries you mentioned, I mean, it sounds pretty costly. 
So how does it become cost-effective for businesses and organizations and buildings and cruise ships who want to be part of the solution? Yeah, that, that's a great, it's a great point because generators, by the way, if you want to get a generator for your house or your building, they're really inexpensive uh, compared to putting up a lot of solar and controls. Um, but the exciting thing is, I could talk a little bit about our experience up in Monterey County is, the exciting thing is if you couple together solar and storage, um, you, can, you can basically create microgrids that pay for themselves. Um, so here's, here's the Santa Rita story. School district up in Monterey County, six campuses, very, uh, very poor school district, didn't have a lot of cash. Heard about Elon Musk and the Gigafactory and, and all these batteries. And this nice lady from the school district called me up and said, we want batteries here. And I said, well, everybody wants batteries, but they're very, very expensive. Um, how do you get, how, how, well, we, we still want batteries. We want batteries for the whole day. Most batteries in California are being deployed for only two to four hours, but they wanted eight hours of, of battery backup. What we figured out, and here's how you get the cost-effective microgrid. What we figured out was that if we put up enough solar on these campuses, 100% solar, wiped out, their, wiped out their usage on these campuses, created tremendous savings from the solar, that those savings could be used to pay for the expensive batteries, and those savings could be used to pay for the expensive microgrid controls. So, uh, and that was all fully financed. Uh, those systems were all fully financed. So what that means, and, and they were financed at parity. That means that that school district used to pay on the order of a quarter million dollars a year for power to Pacific Gas and Electric, the utility. Now they're paying their financier for the solar and storage and microgrid control systems, that same quarter million dollars a year. That's at parity. It's the same price. But what they've got now is a carbon-free solution. And if the macro grid goes down long-term, they can still operate the campuses. Now, another point I want to make about commercial systems is that, yes, batteries are hugely expensive assets. And if they're only there for when the grid goes down, which, thank goodness, is less, usually less than 1% of the time, then you've got an asset that's sitting there idle for all that time. So what can you do? Well, there's lots of ways, and this gets back to working with the utility. There's lots of way of participating in demand response programs with the utility and injecting, exporting power from your, from your facility into the grid and getting paid to do that. Right. So, so we're, we, we're coming up with what we call secondary revenues, but we're coming up with revenue streams from microgrid assets when the grid is fully operational. Hmm. And who would have an interest in financing something like this? Well, uh, the same companies that are financing the solar power purchase agreements are, are financing now energy storage systems and by extension, they're financing microgrids. Uh, they are, they are that again, we're new, we're, we're ramping up in this area. So I would probably most microgrids have been, have been paid for with cash as opposed to financing using power purchase agreements and energy performance contracts, but that, but that's all coming. And as financiers get more comfortable with the technologies, as the technologies mature, the financiers get more comfortable with the technologies. They're particularly interested in these secondary revenues, revenue streams. You know, they want to see that those batteries are not just used 1% of the time, but used, you know, a lot of the time. By the way, there's what's called ancillary services that you can sell to the grid. This is getting a little technical, but the grid needs to maintain frequency control 24-7, 365 days a year. Batteries in microgrids can be used to maintain system frequency up and down. 
24-7. So instead of being used only 1% of the time, in theory, they can be used 100% of the time by working in, in partnership with utilities. Now, we always carve out part of the capacity or part of the energy in that battery for the emergency, right? You don't want to get, you don't want to, you don't want to sell off all your, all your storage. So you need to carve out, keep some of it on hand. But again, that's what these controllers do. They're very smart brains. They can be programmed for all sorts of different scenarios. Because as I understand, batteries have really revolutionized clean energy because, you know, unlike oil and gas and kind of these like stagnant forms of energy, wind and solar was sort of, it, it was, you can't trap, you can't put capture that in a bottle. So all of a sudden now we can with batteries. Um, and there seem to be some concerns around batteries and lithium and as being a finite resource. Like, do you see that that hurdle is being overcome in terms of the composition of these batteries and where they're coming from? Yes. Yeah. It's, it was an enormous technological race to come up with, you know, really viable battery solutions. Uh, lithium ion, I call it the lithium ion revolution because it's ushered in both for electric mobility with cars, but also now with batteries and hybrid, hybrid buildings. Uh, lithium ion has been the game changer, but it is a finite resource. It's a heavy metal. It's, it's got some problems. There are lots of battery chemistry uh, projects going on. There's lots of uh, different chemistry or different compositions that are being, that are being tested. Uh, we're a big fan at, at EcoMotion of vanadium flow batteries, which is a non-toxic mm -hmm. kind of a battery that doesn't degrade like lithium does, have to be replaced after 10 years. But, but I think that energy storage um, will evolve, is evolving rapidly. And you know, the, some of the more fundamental kinds of energy storage are, are pump storage hydro systems, compressed air systems, gravity systems. Uh, so batteries are, are just one of a number of storage techniques. And so I think we're, again, we're, maybe that's the main theme of this podcast is that in many ways, microgrids are on this trajectory. We're at the, we're, we've got a lot of momentum now. There's movement. All the big players are in this game. Um, but we're going to see a lot of uh, shakeout and we're going to see a lot of advances, especially uh, in the energy storage. So do you think this is a good time to kind of get in to this to this trend or this exciting development? Or is this something that people should kind of wait to see what happens with the policies and the utilities and the technologies? Like, how can people get involved? Should they now? And if so, how do they? Yeah, well, that's a that's a whole bunch of questions uh, stacked <laughs> up. But but I would say that the time is right. Uh, the time is right for solar. The time is right for storage. The time is right for microgrid controls. The time is right for mi microgrids. The time is right for energy resilience. And to hammer that that point home in California, uh, because it was proven that some of the largest wildfires here in the state were caused by utility transmission and distribution systems. You know, we have all these un we have all these exposed wires that are running throughout our state, throughout our national forests. High winds take them down and they cause fires. And, and billions and billions and billions of dollars of damage have been caused by these wildfires that were proven to be the result of utility, uh, utility infrastructure um, causing those fires. No fault of anybody at the utility, but because this is just na a natural thing that's going to happen. But as a result, there was a regulatory proceeding in California, and we now have what's called PSPS events. That's a public safety power shutoff event, sort of a silly name, PSPS. But what that means is that if the utilities see 
that there's going to be extreme weather conditions that are, are threatening to far, forest fires, uh, they can shut down the power grid. And every single customer in that area it loses power completely. So we've had customers losing power for days, even a week uh, of time, uh, multiple times a year. Well, that means that everybody is looking for this energy resilience that we're talking about. If you can't rely on the power grid, then you've got to, and you have, and you have refrigeration needs, or you have medical equipment needs, or whatever it is is your issue, or communication needs, or whatnot. Then you have to have your own system. And yes, you're right. The batteries are really are really enabling that. So there are are businesses that see that they're doing cost benefit analyses and seeing that they need to have their own resiliency built in. Uh, there's schools that are wanting to educate their kids, like our friends up at Santa Rita. That was their passion. Uh, there's there's all sorts of critical facilities that need to be what we call hardened to be more energy resilient, given all these uh, inherent problems that are, as our climate just stirs up and gets worse and worse. Right. So if a school watching or or an individual who wants to be more sustainable watching says, hey, I'd like to explore. Is this viable for me and my and my community? Would you recommend that folks go to the utility or kind of who who might, I mean, other than EcoMotion, which is obviously a great resource, who who do we call on to kind of get the ball rolling in terms of, of creating microgrid? Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question. It's it, There's been a lot of grassroots efforts. Uh, you know, I think about the Santa Barbara community that's now doing some amazing work with microgrids. I know that our friend Michael Totten, our dear friend Michael in Asheville, North Carolina, is part of a group of people that are that are focused on building a microgrid or multiple microgrids there. Uh, in some cases, the utilities are are embracing that. Um, you know, I had Brian Hennigan of Holy Cross Energy on the podcast a couple of weeks back, and and there's a utility that's very progressive, a very progressive cooperative utility looking at how how they can um, create benefit you know benefit flowing both ways. Uh, but I think, you know, the step, step one is probably getting knowledgeable. Um, we have a lot of resources on our website about microgrids. Uh, we have uh, the podcast series that, that is specifically on microgrids uh, that folks might want to read. There's a great publication called Microgrid Knowledge that I read all the time, and it puts on all sorts of conferences and webinars. So there's, so there's a lot of good information out there. And I would say that generally it's, it's at the grassroots right now uh, that the action is happening. But if you're interested in getting in, uh, you know, every solar company is looking at this. Every storage company is looking at this. All the electrical contractors, you know, the Johnson Controls and the Honeywells. And so there is a whole new opening up field that I certainly would encourage um, listeners to explore. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, what's happening in, in the progressive utility of Holy Cross in Colorado. And clearly in California, there's this pressing need to find these solutions. But, but what if you're in a state that doesn't have this kind of progressive agenda or even climate and climate change embracing politicians? Like, is it still possible to do a microgrid there? Or what would you say? Well, I, I would look. I'd be looking at the economics of it. First off, I would say I'm, I would say I'm sorry that you're in a, that you're in a place that has not embraced uh, the immediacy of the, of the climate crisis. But um, I would then look at the economics uh, and 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 see you know what would it cost. I mean, and, and what is your opportunity for solar? I mean, if you can solar and net meter profitably, 
which is the case in many states, then that gives you a, that gives you money with which to buy your controls and your batteries. So it's a it's a fun, matter of looking at, at the economics of that particular region, which is a matter of looking at utility rates and and market prices for solar and storage. Um, so, but uh, you know, many of us are going to want and need energy resilience. And we're going to need to get it, whether our utilities are supporting it, whether our regulators are supporting it, whether there's tax incentives and utility tariffs to support it. And we're going to have to make our own decisions. And if you're a uh, if you're in business and, and you lose a lot of money when the grid goes down, you know, you may have to put in uh, an energy resilient system and it may cost a lot of money. Um, you know, other people that want to have energy resilience, you know, just may have to come out of pocket. You know, our business specializes in trying to get these deals at parity, making them cost effective, but they're not going to be cost effective for everybody as we go forward. So um, the good news is that the technical solutions are being developed rapidly and are now off the shelf. And I, I would say the regulation, the finance, um, some of these other aspects of it are, are following. And we see with climate change or, you know, global weirding, as, as it's been called, is, is not every place is impacted equally. Um, some places like California have extreme droughts and fires and other places are suffering from flooding. I wonder how resilient are these microgrids in terms of, say, a flood? Yeah, yeah, you got to put your batteries up high. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> you can't be, you can't have them down in the flood zone. But you know, it was interesting. Peter Asmus was uh, on this show, the Net Positive, and he's a, a consultant. He's been working on microgrids for for ten years, and he said that the Europeans were kind of shunning the notion of microgrids. Oh, our power system is so is so good. We're all, we never we're never down. Uh, well, now, I mean, we just saw what happened in Germany and, and on the French border there. And with the you know the awful 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 flooding that took place. So, yes, I think microgrids are, are appropriate. This whole trend of hardening our power system and finding local um, local resilient systems very appropriate um, in all different uh, in, in all different areas. But but of course we've got to be really cognizant of where we put our electrical switch gear. You know, after Hurricane Sandy in New York City, many of those big buildings down on Wall Street. You know, their electrical vaults are down at street level or below street level and flooded out. When they rebuilt, they started to think about putting them up on, on the upper floor, not the upper floors, but, you know, up out of any any potential flood zone. So we've got to, we certainly need to do that with our microgrids. I was just sailing on a, on a little, on an electric, hybrid electric sailboat last weekend in, in, uh, in San Diego. And all the batteries are stored in the, in the hull of this is a catamaran in each of the two hulls. And the captain of the ship, the owner of the ship had been very careful to make sure that those batteries were out of the water. Not on the, not on the very bottom, but with plenty of space so any water sloshing around wouldn't affect them. Right, so it's about really having this foresight, understanding you know, the technology, kind of getting to know what's happening around you and in the field. And so as we look to the future, I mean, what do you see in terms of the potential of microgrids? What does the future of microgrids look like in the next, say, 10, 20, 30 years? Yeah. You know, Brian Hennigan, who we talked about from Holy Cross, said he thinks that what we're going to have in the future is, is um, networked microgrids. So you've got a Mac, you, maybe you've got your macro grid, and then you have all of these microgrids that can cooperate with each other. Okay. Uh, and that, that's kind of a really cool concept. 
maybe it's like a community gardens, uh, or maybe we have, you know, we have our we have our gardens at our own home, and we or in our at our own school or in our community. But we also we also buy from the supermarket, and maybe we at some point maybe we even sell some of our produce at that that community market. I don't think that there that we're going to see the um, the macrogrids go away. I, I think there's a lot of very there's a lot of functionality in the macrogrids. In fact, Buckminster Fuller, you know, amazing energy thinker, said, "Well, you know, you've got think about the globe. I mean, shouldn't we be connecting the, the hemispheres of the globe, and that so that when everybody's asleep." On one side of the one side of the planet, you know, and all the power is being used on the other, and then and vice versa. So, I think there's a lot of value in the in the macro grid and in in the utilities, but that's going to be now shored up with all of these distributed microgrids that are going to be you know sort of uniquely applied where needed and where cost effective uh, to move forward. Sounds very exciting. Um... We're coming to a close pretty soon here. Are there any kind of last minute uh, words of wisdom that you would like to impart on the Facebook Live audience or, or next steps or just kind of call to action for folks who are interested and want to continue to explore this issue? Well, I would just certainly certainly encourage folks to continue to explore. And there, there are, as I said, there's lots of webinars, there's lots of free resources, there's this microgrid knowledge. We have a, a ton of stuff on our website about about microgrids that I think is useful to folks. And I, I just I would just leave with the optimism mm -hmm. that we can, that I believe we can have fully financed carbon free microgrids that will serve us with this energy resilience that we know we're going to need more and more. So those are those are those are really optimistic, fully financed. You don't have to have the cash, just like right. solar. You can go with it. You can fully finance it. Carbon free. We don't want microgrids that are formed with, with diesel generators. Yeah. We're, we're working with, the, we're yeah. with the city of Berkeley now. They have diesel generators in most of their municipal facilities. And they don't want to use them. We've got to get past that. But fully financed carbon free microgrids. We're seeing a dramatic rise in, in the technology. We're, we are seeing regulatory changes that are, are positive to enable that to usher this all in. And it just couldn't be more timely. Uh, thank goodness that we've got this technology and this, all these constellations are coming together at the same time. Yeah, well, this is so exciting. I certainly feel much more knowledgeable and about microgrids, and I hope those watching do as well. Uh, be in touch with Ecomotion, ecomotion.us. Subscribe to the, the Net Positive podcast on Spotify and iTunes. And Dad, thank you so much for enlightening us all today. Um, it's very, very exciting. And I too feel hopeful about the future and that of energy. So. Well, thank you, Sarah, for being the host. It's been great. And stay tuned, everybody, because we will be back soon with another energy crash course. And we'll cut to the chase on some other technology soon. But thanks for tuning in. Happy Friday and um, yay to microgrids. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody. All right. Bye.